Yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11. On September 11, 2001, a group of terrorists hijacked passenger planes and used them as lethal weapons against civilians and government officials in New York City and Washington, D.C. At the end of that horrific day, on September 11, 2001, 2,996 people had lost their lives. Horrific. I remember watching 20, 20 years ago this very morning on national television as it was unfolding. On August 31st, 2001, just a few days ago, the world watched in shock as allied countries left countless allied citizens and friends behind as they vacated Afghanistan. It was gut-wrenching to watch. In fact, on one of my social media feeds, I was watching an American plane leave and people were clinging to the, air, to the airplane as it was taking off and plunging to their deaths. Gut-wrenching. This summer, Canadians helplessly watched as over 4,000, or 400, yeah, four, it might have felt like 4,000, but over 400 fires burned in British Columbia. The picture on the screen is what was the town of Leighton, British Columbia, a small town of about a few hundred people, and they lost almost everything. It's hard to imagine. They lost almost everything. And if that's not enough, on top of all of that, we have now the Delta variant that is surging across our country and across our nation. Unless you've been living on some remote island without cell, without cell reception or Wi-Fi capability, you are keenly aware of the statement that I'm about to make. And that's this statement here. There are problems in the world. Unless you've been on a remote island where you have no Wi-Fi and no internet and no cell reception, you would agree with that statement. And you would know the weight of that statement. There are problems in the world. But not only are there problems in the world, we're going to make it a little bit more personal this morning, there are problems with people. There are problems with people. That's no secret, is it? There are problems with people. In fact, when you say that, there are problems with people, it's just a broad statement that sometimes really has no connection with the group of people. So let's be fully transparent this morning. There are problems with people. When we say that statement, we often are referring to people in Afghanistan or Africa or another community or across the nation. There's a little bit of a disassociation, disconnect between us and the individuals that we're talking about or group of people that we're talking about. It's hard news for them, but I'm glad I'm not living there or I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that town, or I'm glad I'm not experiencing that. There's a little bit of a disconnect. So let's make it more personal this morning. Not only are there more problems, or there, not only are there problems with people, but there are problems with you this morning. Anybody want to say amen on that one? There are problems with you. And there are problems with me this morning as well. I've discovered the number one reoccurring problem, and there are a lot of reoccurring problems with mankind and with you and with me, but the number one reoccurring problem that I find within myself and find within other people, it's this one right here. We have a problem with being self-aware. We have a problem with being self-aware. Too often we resist examining our motives. We, we resist examining our intentions and our desires. And I'm not fully convinced that we do it intentionally either. For example, life is busy, right? Moments turn into hours, and hours turn into days, and days turn into what? Weeks, and weeks turn into years, or months, excuse me, and months turn into years, and years turn into a lifetime. A lifetime. I can't tell you how many people at the end of their life goes, where did life go to? 
I haven't done nearly what I, anything close to what I thought I was going to do. Why? Because there was no reflection. There was no evaluation, no self-awareness. A lifetime of being too busy to reflect. That's what many of us find ourselves in that position. We are living a lifetime that's too busy to reflect on who we are, on what we are doing, and why we're doing it. We're just too busy. Not even intentionally. We're just too busy that we don't even take the time to reflect on who we are, where we're going, and what we're up to. Kevin DeYoung writes this, busyness can ruin our joy, it can rob our hearts, and it can cover up the rot in our souls. Now that's the part that I really want you to focus on this morning, is that latter part of the statement, and it can cover up, say it with me church, the rot in my soul. Failing to take time to reflect for whatever reason, whether that's intentionally or not intentionally, is often a cover up for the rot that's in our soul. The cost in not taking time to examine, the, the, the cost to not taking the time to reflect translates into a lack of transparency within our life and honesty with our life that affects not only us, but affects other people that we're in relationship with. This may sound odd to you this morning, but the truth of the matter is this. The more you personally reflect on who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, your intentions, your motivations, the better reflection you will have. The more you reflect on who you are, the better understanding you have of yourself, the corrections that you can make within your life, and therefore, the reflection that you're reflecting to other people is what? Far better than not reflecting on your life. To personally reflect on your life brings a realization of just how much we need encouragement and correction and guidance from God. The more we realize our need for God, the more our lives reflect Jesus. The more we realize our need for God, and as we reflect on our life, we realize we need God. And the more we realize we need God, the more our life becomes like Jesus, reflects Jesus. More on that in just a few moments. Today we're concluding our final discussion of our summer series, The Best Summer Ever, and we're focusing today on this statement. If you've not already figured it out, here it is, fullness through, say it with me church, reflection. Fullness through reflection. In today's discussion, we're in the very last chapter of 2 Corinthians, and Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and in this chapter, he divides it into three sections or three divisions, three categories, if you want to call them that. And here's what he's saying in each of these categories. The first thing is, the first thing he says is a reflection that leads to repentance. You need to have a reflection that leads to to repentance. In these first few verses of the Apostle Paul, he's urging the wayward believers at Corinth to reflect and to repent. He's saying it right boldly, saying, reflect and repent of your selfishness, of your immaturity, and of your sinfulness. Have you ever pulled a Paul before? An Apostle Paul? Have you ever, have you ever urged someone to reflect and repent. Have you ever been in a discussion with somebody and you go, ooh, like I'm hearing things right now and, and, and here's my advice to you over a cup of coffee. Here's my advice to you. You perhaps should reflect on your life because there may be some things that you want to repent of. How does that go? It never goes well, does it? It never does. 
Like, it's almost never received well. And you probably end up, the person leaves mad, or they say words to you that you wish they hadn't have said. It just doesn't end well. But I'm telling you this morning, do not be deterred. Just because somebody doesn't want to hear something doesn't mean that you shouldn't, in grace, say it to them. Because Paul did. He never deterred from the fact that he told the people at Corinth that you must reflect and you must repent in your life, even though they didn't want to hear it. Paul writes in the first few verses of chapter 13, we're going to look at a few of them here, I have already warned those who have been sinning when I was there on my second visit. So Paul's just, boom, here it is. You know, you're, you've been sinning, you won't stop sinning, and so I, it was a problem on my second visit, it'll be a problem on my third visit with you, and it's a problem in this letter to you. Now again, I warned them all, and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. Then he says in verse 3, I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. So they're, they're questioning his, uh, his ability to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Then in verse 4, we find this odd verse that we will come back to. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was, but when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. Then this verse, verse 5. Say the first two words with me, church. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Then he says two more words. Say it. Test yourselves. Boom. In the very first part of this verse, he goes right out of the gate. Examine yourselves and test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of what kind of faith? Of genuine faith. Paul not only urges repentance, he also urges reflection. Reflection, then followed by repentance. Why would Paul urge repentance and reflection? That's a good question. That's a question that came up in my mind as I was studying for this chapter in this discussion this morning. Like, why would Paul urge repentance and reflection? I think I found the answer. Because without reflection, there is little chance for genuine repentance. Without reflection, there is very little chance of genuine repentance. You cannot genuinely repent if you've not reflected and understand why you do certain things. Why you behave certain ways. Why you say things the way that you say them. You have to reflect deep within yourself to understand why you do things that you do, whether good, bad, or ugly. And you can't repent of those things unless you reflect. And so repentance is shallow if there is no reflection. Paul boldly urges his readers. Twice he says, examine and what? Test. Examine and test yourselves. To examine or test yourselves, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means to inspect closely. It doesn't mean you glaze over certain things in your life. It means that you actually take the time to inspect your life closely. That no stone goes unturned. That you open every closet door. That everything is closely inspected in your life. It means that you investigate 
You investigate what's going on in your life. You investigate your intentions. You, in, you investigate your desires. You investigate your life. And it also means to scrutinize. It doesn't mean you smell the roses when you're examining and reflecting your life. No, it means that you are scrutinizing your life. Why do I do this? And why do I do that? And why do I have this desire? And why do I have this struggle in my life? And why is this in my life? How does anyone know what to confess or repent if we've never inspected, if we've never scrutinized our life? How do we know if our motives are pure? How do we know if our intentions are right if we've never taken the time to examine our motives and our intentions? Ask yourself this question. When was the last time I examined my life to see if my faith was genuine? When was the last time you reflected on your life to even know if your faith was genuine or not? A reflection that leads to repentance is so important. I can't help but think that Paul was reflecting on the words of Jesus as he was scribing chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. What, what did Jesus say? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and I can't help but think that Paul was thinking about these verses as he was writing chapter 13. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, say this with me, church, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Then he says in verse 23, the words of Jesus. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And we cast out demons in your name. That would be cool. And we perform many miracles in your name. Who wouldn't want to see a miracle? I want to see a miracle today. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 23. But I will reply to those people who prophesied, to those people who did miracles, to those people who did good things in my name, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It is a very sobering passage of Scripture from the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke these words. I can't help but think Paul was thinking of the words of Christ as he was writing chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. A reflection that leads to genuine repentance is so important. Why? Because your, your eternity depends on it. What would you rather hear on that moment when you face, go face to face with Jesus and that moment when you're standing before Him, the moment that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 7, when you stand before Him in that moment of time, which is in the future, and you stand before Christ, what would you rather hear? Enter in, good and faithful servant. Or, I never knew you. Get away from me. Now, I'm not too smart, but I'm pretty smart on this one, that I know what Je I want Jesus to say to me. I want Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I don't want Him to say, Get away from me, I never knew you. I'm, I'm, I think I know what your response is in this room, and I think I know what the response is of those who are watching online. We all, when we stand before Jesus, we want Him to say, good job. You were faithful in what I gave to you. Come on in. 
I don't think there's any one of us this morning, if you are, you're, you're playing a double life, you're, that would say, oh, I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus on earth, but when I get to that moment in time, I want Jesus to say to me, I never knew you, get away from me. Nobody would think that. Nobody would say that. In moments of reflection and examination of our life, something happens. When we go deep diving into our life, when we reflect on us and who we are and what we're made up of and why we do certain things in our life and our desires and our attentions and all of that, when we begin to reflect on our life and we allow the Holy Spirit to help us reflect on our life, something happens. Sin floats to the top. Bad attitudes floats floats to the top. Crude floats to the top. Stuff that needs dealing with floats to the top. We see God's guy, and when I call him God's guy, he's King's, uh, King David, because the words of Scripture say David was a man after God's own heart. Even though he lived a messed up life later on, he was a man after God's life, a man after God's own life, heart. He communicates the importance of reflection and, and repentance in Psalm 139. We find this in Psalm 139.23. Search me. Here's King David saying to God, Search me, O God, and know my what? Heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then in verse 24, point out anything in me that does what? That offends God. That offends you, God. Anything in my life that offends you. I'm taking time right now to personally reflect. And anything that offends you in my life, give me the boldness, God, to to confess it to you, to repent of it, so that my life, and lead me along the path of what? Everlasting life. So that when that moment comes, when I stand before Jesus, that He says to me, enter in good and faithful service, that He does, servant, He doesn't say, get away from me. Even though you prophesied on my name, even though you, you healed the little old lady who threw away her cane, even though you did all these wonderful things in my name, I do not know you. Reflection for the sake of reflection is useless. If you were to go home this afternoon and go, you know what, well, the pastor said I need to reflect on my life, so perhaps that's what I should do, and I'm just going to reflect on my life. Oh, my life's pretty good, and that's it. Boom. It's over. Reflection for reflection's sake is useless. Why do we reflect on our life? We reflect on our life so that it leads to repentance and then leads to change in our life. It's a reflection that that doesn't depend on you. It's a reflection, the only thing that does depend on you is that you go, here I am God, and I'm going to reflect on my life. You make yourself available to God, and the reflection is dependent on God as His Holy Spirit works in you, as His voice begins to speak to you, and you reflect on your life. He will bring things up in your life that you will then need to deal with. Stuff that you thought you buried a long time ago. Stuff that you thought you hid in the closet. Stuff you thought you'd, you, nobody would ever find out. When you truly reflect on God and allow His Holy Spirit to do a deep dive into your life, you will then begin to be able to confess some things. It's a reflection that doesn't depend on us. It depends on God working in us as we make ourselves available to Him. I, I believe this with all my heart this morning. 
The deeper we reflect on truth, the truth of God, the more our reflection disappears. Now you're going to scratch your head. I know you're scratching your head. Some of you I can see, you go, the smoke is starting to kind of happen. And you're going, well, that, that's not what you've been saying, Pastor. This doesn't make sense. Let me explain it to you. The deeper we reflect on the truth of God, the deeper that we go into God's Word, the deeper that we, we reflect and allow His Holy Spirit to work in us, the more our projection reflection, what we project, reflect to others, our self disappears. And what people see is Jesus. Our self disappears and what people see is Jesus. In real simple terms, more God, less me. More God, less me. Paul was writing about this very thing in verse 4. Let's go back to verse 4. Although um, he was crucified in weakness, we now, uh, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was, but when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and we'll have God's power. Now, when you first read that, it may seem a little confusing, that entire verse. I know that when I read it, when I first read it, it was a little confusing because I thought, hey, Jesus is my superhero. He's, he's not weak. What's Paul talking about? the weakness of Christ. What you need to understand this morning is the context of the verse and need to understand that we don't lose sight of the facts of what Paul was saying here. The only weakness that, that Christ had, according to Paul, was death. The weakness was death. The facts but Paul wanted the readers to read and to understand, and the facts that he wants us to understand this morning are this. God raised Jesus from the dead. I think it's worthwhile for all of us to say that. God raised Jesus from the dead. Paul confirms this thought in Philippians chapter 2. He says, God's Power raised Jesus from the dead and exalted Him in glory and majesty, giving Him the name that is above all names. It was God's power that did what? Raised Jesus from where? The dead. And exalted Him to the right hand of God the Father. Where and another passage of Scripture says He intercedes on our behalf right now when we call out in the name of Jesus. Death came out of weakness. Life came out of God's power. There is no greater power than the resurrection power that God flowed through Jesus to bring Him back to life so that when we go to the cross and when we go to the empty tomb and when we realize the resurrection power of Jesus, that it is Jesus living in us and that God gave Jesus the power and Jesus is giving us God's power. Did you follow that train? Here's what happens when we go to the cross. Here's what happens when we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. We show up at the cross in weakness. We show up at the cross in weakness. We go there in weakness. We kneel there in weakness. And in that moment, we realize just how weak we are when we begin to, to look at the horizon of the life of Jesus. 
A man without sin died on the cross for you and for me so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And we look at our life and we reflect on our life at the cross and when we look at Jesus' life and reflect on His life, we realize our weaknesses. Amen? And if you cannot identify your weaknesses at the cross, kneel there longer. Because anyone, John writes, who says they have never sinned, is lying. Kneel there because in that moment when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and you look at your life, you realize just how weak you really are. We then get up from the cross, get up from kneeling and reflecting on Jesus and our life and confessing our sins. We then rise up in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We rise up in the power that flowed through Jesus from God the Father. In a letter to the Galatian church, Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, my old self has been what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in who? The Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and did what? Gave Himself up for me. There is an evolving problem with Western Christianity, friends. The cross of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, is no longer a place of reflection. We no longer reflect on the cross. Many Christians look at the cross as a once-in-one deal. I go to the cross once, I recognize my weakness, I confess it to Jesus, then I move on. And we never go back to the cross again. We never contemplate the cross again. We are missing a strength and hope and forgiveness and life that is only available by constantly reflecting on the cross of Jesus Christ. Something happens when we reflect on the cross. It empowers us to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Is your faith genuine? Does your life need repentance? A man was praying with his pastor one day and he prayed so the pastor could hear him. He prayed this prayer, Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. And the pastor had heard that prayer so many times he interrupted the man and prayed this, kill the spider, Lord. (laughs) Kill the spider. Reflection that leads to repentance leads to Jesus killing the spider. Stop dealing with the cobwebs and get to the heart of the issue. The spider. Reflection that leads to repentance leads to a life that has changed. Reflection that leads us to the cross leads us to the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul is talking about another reflection. uh, And it's a reflection that leads to change. What benefit is reflection and repentance if there's no change? What benefit is there? It's a good question. Why not look at it this way this morning? As you look at this statement, change is the measurement for for repentance. Change is the measurement for repentance. If there is little change in your life, then I would argue your repentance is worthless. If there is change happening in your, in your life, then I would say your repentance was meaningful and genuine. 
Paul urges the wayward Christians at Corinth to have a reflection that leads to change. A couple of verses that we're going to look at here this morning, the first one being verse 7. We pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. So Paul is urging them, you know what? Do what is right. I hope we don't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. The latter part of this verse, do the right thing before we come. Even if that makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. Then in verse 8, for he cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. And then we see in verse 9, we are glad to, see, uh, to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become, what's that word, church? Mature. To become mature, there has to be changes within our life. Paul desperately wanted to see a change in the lives of the believers in Corinth. But sadly, the church has an integrity problem today. We've somehow convinced ourselves that we can change our belief system without actually changing our behavior. Let me say that again. We have an integrity problem. We have somehow convinced ourselves we can change our belief system without changing our behavior. Imagine this. Sherry and I are on a trip. And I'm the driver and she's the navigator, as normally does happen that way. And Sherry tells me to turn left at this intersection, and I turn right. Now, I will neither confirm nor deny this actually happened in our relationship. But she says, dear, turn left. And I go, er, and I go right. And several kilometers down the road, I look at my lovely wife and I go, hey, babe, I'm sorry I turned the wrong way. And I didn't listen to your instructions. And then I keep driving the wrong way, whistling. If that's all I do is say I'm sorry, it's not enough. It's not enough to say I'm sorry. It's not enough to confess. Because sorry doesn't actually get us any closer to where we want to be, which is probably winners. <laughs> End the story. What's taking place? We're actually getting further away from where we want to be. Even though I said I'm sorry I turned the wrong way. As the car continues to travel down the wrong way, we are getting further and further away from where we actually wanted to be. To get where I need to be and where my wife wants us to be means that I actually turn the car around and go back the opposite way that I've been traveling in the direction that she first advised me to. Completely different if I say, hey babe, I'm sorry I went the wrong way and continue excuse me, drive the wrong way. Completely different situation. Hey babe, I'm sorry I went the wrong way and turned the car around and corrected my problem. You see, reflection involves repentance that leads to change. Many people want to say, I'm sorry, God. But they never actually turn their life around. They never actually stop and turn the car around. Finally, Paul says, have a reflection that leads to repentance. Have a reflection that leads to change. Have a reflection that leads to Christ-likeness. In Paul's brief spiritual benediction, 
which is a beautiful benediction that we often use within the church, we see a blessing for the church to be Christ-like. In verse 11, then we'll jump down to verse 13. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will do what? He will be with you. What a, what a beautiful picture of Christian fellowship right there. What a beautiful picture for the church. What a beautiful picture for our lives if we could only live in that verse. And then down in verse 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. A reflection that leads to repentance leads to change, which leads to Christ-likeness. Let me say that again. A reflection that leads to repentance leads to change, which leads to what? Christ-likeness. When we refuse to take time to reflect, repent, change, and be Christ-like, this happens. A lack of personal reflection leads to what? Pride and self-delusion. It leads to pride in being self-delusion. That your life is not what it really is. Paul was urging the Corinth church to avoid pride. Stop being delusional, he said. Take some time this week. Take some time this afternoon to reflect on your life. To reflect on your motives. To reflect on your intentions. To reflect on your desires. If you were to say to me, Pastor, could you summarize 2 Corinthians for me? And what was Paul really saying here? He's saying a lot in 13 chapters. And, and he, he just comes down hard on them time and time again. He, he exposes where they're at and what they're going through. But, but if, I could, if I could summarize what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians, here's what I think he was saying from chapter 1 through to chapter 13. Do what you already know you should be doing. Do what you already know you should be doing. He wasn't exposing something new. He was exposing something old that they were very familiar with. Habits that they had had that they just wouldn't give up. And they knew about the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was just saying over and over and over and over again, do what you already know you should be doing. Church, all we need to do is do what we already know we should be doing. Amen? You want to live a full life? You want to have a full life? Do what you already know you should do. Now, all granted, there's probably a few of us who are thinking, what, what should I be doing? Let me help you. Live by God's Word. Walk by God's Holy Spirit. And exhibit a Christ-like life. If you do those three things, you will live a full life. Live by God's Word. Walk by God's Spirit and exhibit a Christ-like life.
do it. Because we already know how to do it. We just don't do it. Let me pray for you. Team's going to come back and lead us in the song. I strongly urge you to reflect in your life who you are, what you are, what you're doing, your tensions, your desires. Make sure they are Christ-like. Make sure that you are living by God's Word. Make sure you're walking by His Holy Spirit. Make sure, because your eternity depends on it, one day Jesus will either say, enter in my good and faithful servant, or get away from me, I never knew you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your scripture this morning. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that we can come to the cross in our weakness and confess our weaknesses and sins to you and that we can stand up in the resurrection power. The resurrection power that God the Father gave you, Jesus, flows through you to us. Thank you for that. And as we reflect on our life, and as we do a deep dive on our life and allow your Holy Spirit to to work in us and massage our heart and our soul and our mind. And as stuff floats to the top, may we confess it to You. Confess it. Repent of it. It leads to change, which leads to Christ-likeness. Fill our life to the fullest, Jesus. In Your name we pray.